The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are in the right place. The buzz today, the law of life. Oh, that sounds so deep, and actually it is. It's a phrase from JFK, John F. Kennedy, the late U.S. president. And what is the law of life? Well, it can be simplified down to exactly one word, and I think this will resonate with everyone in our audience. The word is change. JFK said change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future, a profound quote. So here's a newsflash for all of you out there. Change is inevitable when your organization has to grow and adapt to new business requirements. And whose company isn't going through this right now and hasn't been for quite a while? So let's look at who is handling change the best. Well, we have a phrase for that. It's a change champion. Of course it is. There is a human capital media SAP survey that revealed that learning and development, that's the L&D area of a company, is an integral part of orchestrating change management practices at best-in-class companies. So if we look at these companies and we look at their change champions, they're likely to have a toolkit. And what if we peek inside that toolkit and see what do they know that you may not know yet that you can grab, embrace, learn, implement, and put into action so you can become a change champion too. We have a panel of experts, and this is actually part two of a topic we did a couple of months ago here on Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, and two of our panelists are returning, and one is brand new. Let me just tell you who our panelists are, and then we'll get started. We're welcoming back Marsha Connor from Impact Ingenuity. We're welcoming back Carrie Brown from SAP, and we're adding a newcomer, Claudia Ferber. I will spell her name in case you want to look her up, F-A-E-R-B-E-R, also at SAP, and they've sent me wonderful quotes for our opening. So first, let me welcome Marsha Connor, and Marsha has introduced introduced me to a new world at Gaping Void, G-A-P-I-N-G-V-O-I-D, one word, dot com, and somebody named Hugh McLeod, and if you want to look him up on Twitter, it's at Hugh Cartoons. That gives you an idea. He's been drawing about life and business for 20 years, and his Gaping Void is one of the most popular blogs since the early days of social media. It's still in the top 20 of Ad Age's Power 150 blogs today. Here's the quote. The agony of change is the start of something good. Marsha Connor, welcome back. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. This morning we're bracing possibly for the change brought on by uh, Hurricane Joaquin. And so the topic of change is very much on my mind as well as the, quite frankly, fear of agony. 
Uh, now we've added another layer to this. First, we had the agony of change. Now we've got the fear of the agony of change. And then we have change, of course. Just tell me a little background. How did you learn about or where did you come across Hugh McLeod? I was fascinated with his company's website. Tell us just a little about, well, first of all, the, the quote is perfect. But tell us a little bit about how you came across this, Marsha. Did we lose Marsha? I heard a little beep. Yeah. I think we might have lost Marsha. You know what? We're going to move on to our second panelist, and we'll find out more about Gaping Void. Our second panelist is welcoming back one of our frequent guests. She is Carrie Brown at SAP, and Carrie has sent me a very interesting quote from, well, Carrie sends me lots and lots and lots of quotes for these shows, but the one we picked for today is from Sir Winston Churchill, whose full name was Winston Leonard Spencer Dash Churchill. With all kinds of letters after his name, he was a British statesman who was the Prime Minister of the U.K., from 1940 to 45, and again from 1951 to 55. Talk about changing times. And here's the quote. To improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. Carrie Brown, welcome back. How are you? I'm well, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Talk to me about this interesting quote from Churchill. Very applicable. Tell me how you picked it for today. Well, he's he's such a prolific man and was a great writer, and there's, there's lots of wonderful quotes. Um, another of my favorite by him is actually about champagne, that in, in victory you deserve it, in defeat you need it. So he's, he's often quoted, but when I look at change, really I think the reality is, you know, being perfect is nearly impossible because being perfect means that everything is, is just as it needs to be. And the, the truth is you need to change constantly in order to stay perfect because wherever you are, something else is going to enter into your situation that you need to adapt to. So, you know, if you look at changing and improvement, then you're always adjusting. If you're trying to be exactly the ideal, then really you need to change constantly because the, the world around you will be changing constantly as well. So that's why I picked it. Thank you very much. And, Carrie, there's an interesting, very similar quote from Sheryl Sandberg we had the other day on one. Oh, done is better than perfect. How does that work? Similar? I think it's similar for sure. And I really think what, what is critical is looking at what is the right uh, endpoint. What is your goal? What is your target? So, for example, if you think of a team, you're better off with the entire team being on board with 80% collectively in that momentum than one person being 100 and everyone else being 30. So, depending on what your outcome needs to be, you know, done done can be better than always never being satisfied and always never being able to get to complete and then get to the next step and the next step and the next step. So, uh, done is certainly depending on degree of perfection uh, or degree of need for perfection, you know, there's sort of the analysis paralysis uh, example. Done can absolutely be better than perfection, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then we'll add on to that, Carrie, uh, fake it till you make it, meaning just keep, <laughs> keep going with that, go with the flow. Oh, we could spend the whole show doing quotes about change, but we will not. I understand Marsha Connor is back. Marsha, you with us back again? I am. That was a uh, an odd timing sort of thing. So, yes. That's it, it, okay. Live radio is always full of changes, our theme today. Uh, quickly, Marsha, I want to go back to your, your information about Gaping Void. How did you learn about Hugh McLeod? Very, very interesting. Uh, Hugh made a business for a very long time of drawing great pictures on the back of people's business cards. And I received one of those cards, and I have been uh, sharing that for years. He now puts them on the back of, of cards, and people can uh, bring not only a bit of, of levity, uh, but a, a 
bit of truth to the work that they do, which to me is a really quite key to the whole concept of change, that we need to be very candid and uh, understanding of the world facing us in the, in the future. And too often people are, are, are not thinking about what is really happening but are focused on how to make a process work, for example, at the cost of what's happening to them as individuals or happening around them. And so I, I've always appreciated Hugh's candidness and his mm-hmm. ability to sort of uh, skate underneath the, the business speak and the business focus we have to, to get to what's really happening. Thank you, Marcia. Very well put. I must mention that Hugh McLeod has written three books, including the bestseller "Ignore Everybody." If that isn't uh, skating underneath underneath every day's everybody else's level, uh, it began as a PDF, and guess what? It was downloaded over four million times and continues to be viewed. So, talk about adapting to change, going with change, and just doing it. Thank you very much, Marcia. And now we have Claudia Fairber waiting in the wings. Claudia is our newbie today on the panel. And Claudia has sent me a very interesting quote from Richard Branson. Sir Richard Charles Nicholas Branson, KT, is an English businessman and investor. Most of you know him as the founder of the Virgin Group, which currently comprises over 400 companies. Oh, only 400. He's 65 years old. He hails from the UK. And as of this year, Forbes puts Richard Branson's net worth at 5.1 billion US dollars. And I'm sure that is rising as we speak. He probably knows how to get around the weird stock market we're all suffering from right now. Talk about change. Claudia sent me the following quote. Respect is how to treat everyone, not just those you want to impress. Claudia Fairber, welcome to our show. How are you today? Thanks so much. Nice to be here. We're delighted. So talk to me. Interesting quote. How does it apply to our change and change champions topic? Well, you know, I think uh, when we're working in this professional uh, corporate world that we, we find ourselves, it's really important to, to treat the people who are really going through a, a big change with a lot of respect. Um, and that's really what the work that we do is that we're acknowledging we know you're, you're in for a change and we're going to make that as smooth as possible. Uh, so for me, that's uh, the way I've built my career, and, and I believe it's uh, we treat people the way we want to be treated, and it, it works quite well in the change space. Thank you very much, Claudia. Any reflections you'd like to share with us on Kerry Brown's quote from Winston Churchill or Marsha Connor's quote from Hugh McLeod? Any thoughts? Well, I actually like the champagne quote the best. <laughs> so <laughs> I absolutely believe that we have to celebrate, and sometimes we need it. So, um, no, Carrie and I actually work quite co- closely together, and, um, and, and I agree. I think that we're, we're constantly changing, and uh, it's a part of life. And I think one of the mistakes that we, we have made in business uh, in the past is that we believe that changes, we have one change and we make it, and then we think that it's going to never change again. So it's, it's the one constant that we continually uh, live, live for. Uh, so the, the more we accept it and embrace it uh, and really plan for it, the more successful we are. 
Thank you very much, Claudia. And welcome to the party. And I think that's what we're going to have today. Three very lively, articulate, and engaged panelists on the topic of change. A change champion's toolkit is what we're going to be looking into. Uh, I have to do a shout out to David Fowler at SAP Services, who is the sponsor of this series. And Dave, to date, is in se- season three. That's three times 13 weeks apiece. We're halfway through season three, and he has not had to do a replay even once. So Dave has raised the bar said it very, very high for himself, and so we're so happy this is another new live topic. I'm going to circle it all the way around the table back to Marsha Connor. And Marsha, you know what I'm going to ask you, and I'm wondering if your what's in your cup answer has changed. There, I had to get the word in. Changed since the last time you were on with us. So Marsha Connor, it's time for what's in your cup today, or what are you planning on drinking, and where are you right now, Marsha? I'm in uh, rural Virginia, as I said, uh, waiting for a hurricane to hit us, and I am uh, drinking again today my gallon of water in preparation for dealing with some kidney stones that have actually hit me since the last time we spoke. So still on the water, and I'm looking forward to that champagne. Ah, oh, I hope you feel better. You just keep flushing and flushing and flushing. You'll be fine. <laughs> Sounds like you're on the right track. And we're all looking forward to the champagne. Thank you, Marsha. Carrie Brown, where are you calling from and what's in your cup? I am in Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm drinking a protein shake. And what's in it? Uh, all sorts of goodness, a, a bunch of vegetables and and fruits and vitamins and all those things that will make me as as strong and capable for the day as well as the athletic pursuits that I'm chasing down these days. I love that. What's number one on your athletic pursuit? What are you interested in the most or what are you putting the most energy into? October the 17th, I will be racing the head of the Charles Regatta in Boston. And oh, we, uh, nice. We, we hope to do well. That is our That is our goal. So lots of energy and lots of lots of commitment to that. And is there a name to that race? Anything people could look up? Uh, yes, the head of the Charles Regatta, www.hocr.org. Thank the you very much. Regatta in the world. Love to do a little plug there for you. Thank you. And Claudia Ferber, our newbie today, where are you and what are you drinking? I am also in Baltimore, Maryland, and I am uh, sitting next to a Homewood Sweets styrofoam cup with English breakfast tea. And a little bit of milk and sugar. Okay, sounds very good. And uh, styrofoam cup. If you had your druthers, <laughs> what would that tea be in if it wasn't in styrofoam, Claudia? It what would kind be of a- actually, uh, I think it would be in, a, in a, some kind of a nice, chunky uh, uh, ceramic cup, probably. But um, not possible in a hotel, so... <laughs> Well, guess what? We'll talk afterwards about getting the three of you. I'm not sure if Carrie already has one, an official SAP Game Changers mug. So I'll contact you afterwards, or David will. We'll get you something nice. You can even travel with it, and it's big, and it's beautiful. <laughs> great. So there. Uh, David Fowler is listening, and he's on a Skype chat with me, and David says, in my cup today, he knows the drill, homemade chocolate banana strawberry yogurt protein shake. You go, David Fowler. That sounds really good. And you can join 
join David tweeting today. Dave is tweeting uh, using the handle SAP Services, and we are all tweeting at hashtag SAPRADIO. I am drinking water. Carrie knows that. Marsha may remember. I don't. I'm not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why. <laughs> I have a nice, cool, clear glass of. It's a pretty glass, uh, it, and I have a hot pink straw today, not the usual green, and it's just filtered cool water, probably at room temperature right now from a Brita filter, and that's what I like to hydrate me when I'm on the air with interesting people like the three of you. Our topic today is Change is Inevitable, Success Secrets of a Change Champion, Part 2. Such a big topic, we had to come back and do it again. We are speaking today with Marsha Connor from Impact Ingenuity. Kerry Brown at SAP and Claudia Fairber at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and I plan to be after the break, so we'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. And we're back, and our topic today is change is inevitable. What is in a change champion's toolkit? Speaking today with, from SAP, Carrie Brown and Marsha. Marsha, I'm sorry, Marsha Connor is with us from Impact Ingenuity. Carrie Brown and Claudia Fairber are with us from SAP. And we're going to start our roundtable. We have a whopping 35 minutes today for the roundtable. We're going to start with some notes from Marsha Connor. And Marsha says, she's quoting somebody named Deb Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Deb Schultz famously said, technology changes, humans don't. And let me read one more sentence from Marsha's note. She says, although many of us would agree that for the most part, people's general humanity doesn't change, that's often the first thing that a change initiative attempts to address. Wow, that's a loaded statement. Marsha, talk to me. Oh. What I find is that when organizations think we need to change something big, they create a big plan around that. And in my Change Makers Toolkit, very much I have uh, that those lists of 
steps of getting everyone on board, of communicating clearly, of answering questions, of rallying people to see the benefit to them that change includes, the, the general pieces of, um, of change that we know to be true, what I find is that we too rarely really pay attention to the fact that there's people who are going to be having to break habits that are often very well-worn in our psyche, uh, they have immediate needs that they may not understand or may not know um, instinctively how to work in this new way. And so I often come back to, to Deb's uh, quote because it's a great reminder that says that people are driven by their immediate needs and, and by habits, and we need to focus on reducing the unknown so that people don't have to uh, make up their own uh, approaches to things and feel very uncomfortable in them. It is our job as change champions, as, as change makers, to think about the people and to understand that organizations really are people as opposed to some monolithic entity that really doesn't change. It is those people within our organizations that have to understand what's going on and they have to be able to navigate their way going forward. Marsha, let me ask you a quick question about leadership related to this. In the culture of any particular company, uh, does it depend on how long leaders have been in place? In other words, if they're so ensconced in policies and in how the company has always run and somebody one day goes to a seminar or webinar and they come back and say, oh, we have to change this and we have to change that, and they ignore the people part of change and just put new mantras in place, new mandates, without thinking of the impact on the people in the organization. Is that going to work or is that going to be resisted by the people in the company. Marsha? I, I have to say that sometimes it does work, and I think that's what's getting us in trouble until this hmm. point, is that the, what we used to refer to in a very large organization I worked in, we used to call a book of the month club, that our leadership team would, would find a new book, and then they would say that we all need to work in this new way or use these five steps or be able to be uh, living in, in the way that the author ha- had in, intended, that sometimes it does work. People are actually more inspired by this new idea because the old way wasn't working, that they, they do jump on board and they do help out. But what that often does for the organization overall is lead us to believe that that is the way that we should make change, that it is these uh, new once-in-a-while ideas that will make everything better that leads us down a, a path that really doesn't make sense. And so while I'm, I'm not opposed, frankly, to mm-hmm. the new ideas being interjected in the organization by leaders, it's making that a habit and, and saying that we're going to always do it that way or, you know, happening serendipitously, always happening that way. So it's not so much how much the, how long the leaders have, uh, have been there, it's how successful they have been in, in creating chaos and in creating different crazy ways of, of change happening in their organization that, that is of concern to me and uh, that we need to be very mindful of doing things better. Thank you, Marcia. Did you just say how successful they are in creating chaos? Did you just say that? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to. I just wanted to reiterate that. I love the way you put that. That makes sense. Chaotic change can be chaotic, but but chaos can be good if it's managed well. Carrie Brown, so I know you're waiting to one more quick thing, Bonnie. Yeah, so yeah, in, yeah. Going back to my change makers kit, um, I had I, I worked for a, uh, a CEO for a number of years who was very good at interjecting that chaos, and mm-hmm. we discovered that if we moved the furniture around in his office, 
just, you know, not subtle things, but some big things, about once a quarter that he was less likely to interject that chaos. It was the, we found this out sort of there, you know, sort of uh, oddly, but we discovered that he just personally thrived in that change world. And if we could help meet those needs for him, he wouldn't enforce that on the rest of us quite so often. Wow, wow, wow. I think we just got a great tool for the toolkit. Thank you very much, Marsha. Wow. Carrie Brown, I know you're sitting there waiting to pounce on this topic. Talk to us. I think the personalization that Marsha just mentioned is really critical. And often the analogy or the frame of reference that works well is to think about change for you individually, whether you're an individual contributor, if you're a leader of people, a manager of people. And so, you know, back to my earlier discussion of exercise, you know, all of us have goals that we make personally around our health. And I think when you consider change, if you think of your yourself as a person being the same as a whole organization, you know, you as a being, mm. you can't focus on just one piece and expect the whole organism or the whole organization to respond in the same way. So if <clears throat> you only eat but don't exercise, if you only exercise but don't eat well, if your mental perspective isn't you know, the same as what your physical effort is, you don't get congruency in terms of the performance or the behavior. And that's true also for an organization. So when you look at, you know, what's in the toolkit around, you know, what do you invest in with regard to, to communication? What do you do with regards to the organization structure? What do you do in terms of preparing people from a learning perspective? All of those aspects become what allows the whole organization or the whole organism to function. And the quote you didn't pick, but I think it's cute, so I'm going to share it, mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is Winnie the Pooh. So, you know, we've all seen the Winnie the Pooh, his coaching books. But, you know, a bear, however hard he tries, grows tubby without exercise. Um, I was always a big fan of A.A. Milne. And so I think the same thing is true for organizations and people. Without exercising the right muscles and without exercising mm-hmm. the right aspects of your business, they get tired and they get out of shape and they get to where they can't perform. And similarly, when you look at somebody as a person, if you're overly used, you get fatigued and change is the same. Excessive change brings change fatigue and the ability to respond and perform and adapt is also gone. So finding that right balance both as a person and as an organization, I think, is really the trick. Thank you, Carrie. And I want to bring up one more quote you shared with me before the show. You bring me so many wonderful alternates. We're never quite sure which one to use, but this one is perfect, I think, for right now in the conversation. The quote from Winnie the Pooh is, the hardest part is what to leave behind. It's time to let go. And doesn't that have a lot to do with change, Carrie? If you have so many hours in the day and so many tasks on your plate, what do you let go so that you can move forward and leave something behind? Any comments on that quickly before we bring in Claudia? Absolutely. I think that people, you know, people are people and people bring themselves to work and they work on what they're most committed and most interested in. And the challenge is when that shifts. They need to let go of what they're most interested and committed to and passionate about. And, you know, myself as well as those around me, we all get challenged by that. And I think all of the customers that we work with have that same thing. So figuring out what to let go of and how to be ready to adapt is, is a challenge we face constantly. It's like cleaning mm, I don't your know. closet. Marsha, I have yeah. to admit that asking people to be giving up what they are the most committed to is uh, it sounds a little too much to me like uh, a business speak. Uh, 
each of us are driven by the values and principles that we carry through our lives. And so it's one thing to be asking people to be giving up on the work that the organization needs them to do when they now are being tasked with doing something else. We need to be very mindful and very thoughtful about how we ask people to give up uh, something that they are committed to personally, in, say, in their values and their principles, and to make sure that we're aligning what we're asking people to do with what is meaningful to them. So I don't think, Carrie, you were, you were in, implying that we were asking people to, to give up who they are or what they care deeply as about, deepest about, but it is very useful to us as leaders to be reminding ourselves that there are some constants in people and that we need to be connecting with those over the long haul. Absolutely Jerry? agree. Absolutely okay, agree. good. Claudia, we need to get your thoughts on this. We've moved the needle from part of one topic into another. What are your thoughts, Claudia Faber? Uh, yeah, so um, I would agree with both both panelists on this. Um, and I guess I like to equate it to the, the world that I live in quite a bit, which is technology changes. Uh, so when we are changing a piece of uh, software, for example, Often we make things work with a lot of workarounds because it's not the perfect solution, but it's what we have. Um, I usually, you know, I like to refer to it as the ugly baby that we grow to love. And then we come in with this new piece of software that we say, this is going to make everything better. It's going to be more efficient. You're going to get things done quicker. Um, but there's, there still is that ugly baby that people have been doing for a, a long time. And as change professionals, it's a big challenge because um, often they don't want to let go of it because it, it has worked even though it's labor-intensive and it takes several different steps and there's mm-hmm. a, not a lot of sharing of that information. That's how they've been doing it. And so one of the pieces that, that is really important on a change project is ensuring that the, ch- the change has stuck, meaning they don't re- revert back to using the ugly baby. Let the ugly baby go. We, we made it work for a long time, but it's time to let that one go. So, uh, you know, that's really in the world of, of business, we, we have a lot of, um, it, it's not so much our life's work that we're dealing with, but we're dealing with what we have to do to keep the biz- business running. And so that's, that's really, from a leadership perspective, that's the goal is to alleviate as much of that discomfort while mm-hmm. keeping the business going. Interesting points about giving up, and uh, Claudia, to your point, keeping the business going and alleviating maybe stuff that's weighing people down, and back to what Carrie said, and Marsha chiming in there. Very interesting that we do cling to the familiar. We cling to what's working. This is as individuals, as people in an organization. We like the stuff that we do that works well. And I'm just wondering if the panel has any comments if I make the following statement. We don't want to give up what's worked well for us that may be our calling card, our mantra, what we're known for, just because the organization says, well, we got to move on and you're spending too many hours a day on this or too many days a month, and we need to automate that or give that up or take those four hours and can't you just do 20 minutes of that a week? Marsha, what are your reactions to that? As How would human beings react? That's the bedrock of what they do and how they perform and how they relate themselves to the corporate goals. What do you think? I had a, uh, a leader very early in my career who did, I'll admit, one of the most disgusting things I've ever asked, uh, I've ever had asked of me in, in, uh, at work, and that is he handed out 
bologna. He handed out a piece of bologna to each of us on his team, and he asked us to put it in our shoes. I'm oh, not oh. kidding. This really happened. Oh. Let let me gag off air here for just a second. Wow. Okay. That's a surprise. And what was the importance or what was the purpose, Marsha? He did that as a way for us to reground ourselves in our day. It was a mindfulness exercise. And we spent our day doing our normal jobs, but with a totally new clarity, something very different about our lives was happening that day because we had this sort of squish every time we stepped down and we couldn't not feel it. And when I look back now many, many years, I remember that not as as the grossest always, but as a way for us to re-remember why we are doing what we are doing, which is what his objective was overall. And so to the extent that we can help the people that we work with, and frankly, let's not forget about us who are in the middle of the change as well. If we can be very mindful of what is really happening as opposed to going on that that autopilot, uh, the automaticity that we bring to work every day, we can be mindful of what we're doing, we can remember why we are doing it, and we can be very attentive to what we could do to improve the way we are working and the way that it is having impact both within our organization and in the way that we can do our jobs, I think all the better. So I'm not encouraging people to put your hand out pieces of baloney, uh, <gasps> especially in light of, of Carrie's comments about the, the health of all of us and, and my uh, recent work on very much how it bring our brains to work. But I do encourage all of us to get more in touch with, to connect more consistently with how uh, we are really doing our work and being very mindful of the present so that we can create a better way of working into the future. Very interesting. Carrie, any thoughts on that? The baloney part? I I have to say it's a really vivid, vivid image that I can't quite get out of my mind. Nope. I think what's interesting is the mindfulness that it brought, though, is is what left that vivid imprint, certainly for Marsha. And it leads me to when we were talking about our change management toolkit and what's in it and what do we keep, that was a very powerful marker that's left a, a vivid impression of being mindful. And I think when we look at the toolkit and we look at the different tools that we have in, in our change management suite, what I would say for every organization and every leader is to be mindful. So don't do what I call checklist change management, where you get a book or you get a list or you get whatever toolkit you have and work through it from start to finish without mindfulness. And I think that that piece, when you look at managing change, is significant in terms of finding the relevancy for a given organization. You know, I refer in terms of communication that junk mail at home is just like junk mail at work. You know, you want to throw it away. So when you think about what you're doing within your change toolkit, understanding what will be, to Marsha's point earlier, of aligning with the people and the culture of an organization but also looking at what will be mindful for that organization, I think, is key in terms of selecting the actions and the, the tactics that you use and the strategy that you use to drive change in an organization. Thank you, Carrie. Claudia Fairber, thoughts, please? Yeah, I, this is a, a topic that Carrie and I have spoken to each other about forever and listened to each other speak about forever, and that's, you know, um, I call it check-the-box mentality for, for mm-hmm. organizational change. And I think one of the things, in fact, uh, the other day I was interviewing a, a candidate for a, a project that I was uh, staffing, and 
the change person was very seasoned. She obviously had a quite, quite an extensive toolkit. However, she was so tied to these principles, and I, and I kept challenging her to say, okay, but what would you do that would be really in, innovative? What's an innovative approach to how we get these people ready? And uh, it was it, her, her being so tied to these, you know, what she's calling her, the principles, which were, you know, well, we have to do, you know, this uh, readiness activity, and we have to do that, that it was, had lost its meaning for it. Was it really effective? And so I think that's part of our being mindful when, is that we can't, as much as it would be great if we had a, a, a uh, out-of-the-box solution that you did for every single project or every single change, the truth is it doesn't exist. And it's on us to really focus on the needs of the end of the day, the people, when we look at, at how we are supporting the people who are impacted, um, we really can't do that. We, we, we can't do a, a sticking to a, a check-the-box mentality. So that's something I harp on a lot in the projects that I, I work on or, or that I help identify uh, uh, folks to help with, is that we, you know, we have to be very agile and we have to be very nimble and we need to really, really uh, focus on that be mindful of what is the actual change and how is it going to impact those people who are, are um, at the, you know, at the other end of the change. Thank you, Marsha. I'm going to move on to something I think is very provocative that I want Carrie Brown to emphasize. We did this. We talked about this on uh, part one of this topic, Carrie. I'm just going to read it and have you respond. You say change is led and managed by people who lead and manage the business every day, not a change person, not a change team. So, Carrie, if we reflect on what's in a change champion's toolkit, would that champion know this? Would they have designated, okay, everyone, sit down in the auditorium. We're going to introduce you to the change leader and their change team. Going to happen, not going to happen. Carrie? I think in some organizations it does happen, and okay. sometimes that change leader is the same as the business leader, but it's a rare moment. And really, people, it's, it's been proven from research that people trust the person closest to them in terms of guiding them and in, in the next step. So when you look across an organization, whether it be 500 people, 5,000 people, 50,000 people, the individuals who lead and manage the business every day are the people who are going to continue to lead and adapt and change every day, whether it's for a unique program or project or it's for running, quote-unquote, business as usual. And actually going back to, to Hugh McLeod, I saw uh, I looked at some of his pictures earlier and it said business as usual is an oxymoron. And so it's recognizing that the change professional is bringing tools, approaches, strategies to equip the rest of the business in order to navigate through and adapt as best as it can in a given set of circumstances. Because the reality is those leaders and managers are managing through change all the time. While they may not be, quote-unquote, a change professional, no business is static. And so they're navigating through it, and it's giving them the tools to navigate through it more rapidly or more effectively in a given scenario. Thank you. Claudia Faber? Thoughts on what Kerry just said about the, sometimes the team leader approach works and sometimes when it works, it's because they're already the business leader. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things when I was starting in this profession many years ago, I, I went to a workshop and uh, the, the speaker was saying, you know, if 
a project or, or a change initiative was a play, um, the change team or the change leader, uh, the change management person, the OCM person, would not be the actor in the center of the stage. They would be putting the business leader out in front, and they would be doing the lighting and the sound checks and making sure that, that every detail was taken care of so that leader was communicating uh, the, or, or as, a, as the actor was being you know, the most effective. And while sometimes that's not possible because sometimes leaders uh, will, will push us out in front, um, I, I think it's, it's one of the best keys, as Carrie said, because who are you going to be, believe, the, the change person or the, the business leader that, or, the, or your direct manager? So those are the folks that you work for. Those are the people who are looking at the overall goals of the, of the company. And so um, putting them out front and making them look their best is really on us. So um, in my mind, that's the best situation. Uh, but, uh, but I think we would probably all agree there are times when we get out there and we, um, we stand up and, and deliver a message or two. <laughs> Thank you. Marsha Connor, lots of thoughts swirling around here. What do you think? Well, I'm reminded of a study that was done by the American Psychological Association, a work and well-being study, that said that one in four of us don't trust our employers and one in two don't believe employers value our contributions. And we can't forget that a huge portion of this went back to what both Carrie and Claudia pointed out is a matter of not only building trust but sometimes regaining that trust. And so it's very hard for any of us to work in a situation where we don't believe in the people around us or they don't believe that they have our best interests at heart. And so it's, uh, it, it's helpful to all of us, not as the actor on the center of the stage, but from those of us either with cue cards in our hands um, mm -hmm. or whispering lines from offstage, uh, given Carrie's metaphor, to be encouraging and to be supportive and to be listening and to be focusing and caring along the way. I think that does a tremendous amount of good, not just in goodwill, but it allows people to perform and to be able to do what they need to do at their best. Thank you, Marsha. I'm going to move to some notes. We're uh, moving toward our predictions round in about nine minutes, and I want to cover something very interesting in Claudia Fairber's notes she sent me before the show. Claudia, I'm looking at your comment here about a recent Harvard Business Review article where Ron Ashkenas, I guess how you pronounce it, A-S-H-K-E-N-A-S, who's an internationally recognized consultant and speaker on organizational transformation, he wrote that studies continue to show that 60 to 70% of all change projects fail. That's a heavy-duty number. Why? What did you observe? Uh, what did Ron share in that article that you want to tell us about, Claudia? Well, I think... This is, uh, it goes back to uh, a, a real, you know, a problem within our, our particular profession where that, you know, there's a misunderstanding about what change management really is. I think mm -hmm. the good news is that companies today understand that they need it. The bad news is they don't always understand what that means, and so they will put a warm body in place and say, you're the change person. Um, I think there's a there, there's a personality type that goes with this kind of work. It's, it takes a lot of skill, and I think when you have someone who falls into the, to uh, a project where they're the change person and they have no interest in it, they absolutely will resort to a checkbox mentality, and 
they'll have a list of, okay, as the change person, these are the things I need to do. And it's not, uh, as we were, we were talking about, it is not done in a mi- mindful way. And unfortunately, we see this a lot. And that's, uh, th- that's when you see a lot of failure. I think the other piece to that is that one of the things that, that uh, I have seen in my career, particularly in the last decade, is that we really have to measure success. Um, mm-hmm. and, and often we say as change professionals, well, my deliverables is how I proved it. I did the deliverables, so therefore it was a success. And I think it's on us to really step back and say, were those deliverables really effective in getting people ready? How do we measure readiness? Um, and that is, is in my opinion, uh, what put, sets, you know, puts the, the true organizational change management professionals um, out in front, is that they understand how to prove that something really did work. Um, and, and because of that, because of the, the misunderstanding out there, you know, we really do have to be careful because there's, there's a lot that goes into planning for change. And if we're going to um, keep our seat at the table, we need to make sure that we measure the success and put it out there so that we um, continue to grow in, in this profession and in this capability. Thank you, Claudia. And Carrie, I'm looking at your notes on, on a similar thought here. You say change management in one sentence or phrase is expectations and accountability. How does that sync with what Claudia just shared? I think it syncs with what Claudia shared in terms of looking at what is useful and what is not. So if, if you personalize change from the most high-level executive down to the individual contributor within each organization, it is what am I expecting what do I expect to be different for me? What do I expect to be different as an outcome of whatever change activity we're going through? And then what am I accountable for? And the miss or the failure is when there's a miss on expectations and accountabilities. Either we don't have shared expectations, so I'm happy but you're not because our expectations of the outcome aren't the same. Or I'm clear on what I needed to do or you're not or vice versa in order for that to occur. And so if you look at all of the tools and all the, the approaches, ultimately if you end up with a match in terms of expectations and a match in terms of accountabilities, then we, we collectively get to a successful state of, of change, if you will, uh, that, that is shared. And so you know, if you come full circle to some of the conversation earlier, change management is very much about building trust but also building shared ownership. And so that shared ownership becomes what do I contribute, how do I contribute it, and that, that we have the same end in mind. So absolutely, I think that you know, we're all really singing off the same song sheet in terms of what the right tools are to use and making sure that we use only the tools that make the most sense um, that are going to be the most impactful. Thank you. I have. Thank you, Carrie. I have a question for the whole panel. <clears throat> Excuse me. Actually, two questions. Number one, I'll I'll just go around the table quickly before we get to our predictions round. Number one, uh, design thinking is a big mantra in a big exercise in many companies today. An innovative mindset, innovating innovation, and we even have a radio series with that title, innovating innovation with game changers. And the question is, when the outgrowth or the outcome or the product of an innovation team or an innovation think tank within a company is something that the company, the light bulb goes off. Leadership says, 
Wow, wish we had thought of that, talking about collaboration and co-coordinating co and co-collaborating. Uh, the question is, what if the need to change comes from one of those and it's rather impromptu and it didn't come from the management sitting around saying, well, let's look at the books the past five years. This isn't working. That isn't working. But it comes from something very organic within some thinkers in the company. How easy is it for everybody to embrace that it came out of, a, out of somebody who's a, a little team who's been meeting in that room, that design thing? room or that design thinking area for the past six months and wow now we have to change marcia any thoughts on that in terms of trusting and leadership and guidance well i uh, i've been quoted in the past as saying that training is for what has come before and collaboration and change is for what has never been solved before mm -hmm. and i think that that is that, that becomes our challenge to realize mm -hmm. that change isn't some big Thing. We face it every day. We drive into work and we discover that a road is closed. Uh, we have to make a change. That these are not, that we need to be mind, we need to be thinking that and realizing that everybody is making changes all of the time in every moment. And it's like an anthill that is the collection of those small changes that lead to those big changes. And while we may want to think that it comes from uh, those managers, as you said, sitting around a table or, or at a meeting, that that is one type. But if, if it weren't for those ants helping make that anthill and make that change, it wouldn't actually happen. And so I, I just keep coming back to the opportunity we have as individuals, as leaders, as people who care about one another to realize that change happens at the individual level and then collectively we can work together to be able to show that we can topple a house uh, and at a time. Thank you. You know what? We're going to have to ask you, McLeod, to put together a drawing for that one, Marsha. I think that's <laughs> deserving of a gaping void illustration. I really do. Uh, Carrie Brown, thoughts on my question or on Marsha's answer? I, it's interesting. The the most recent Harvard Business Review had a lot of activity on design thinking, and mm -hmm. I was talking to a colleague about about it. And it's there's a little bit of you know whatever is old is new again. Uh, you know, you look at fashions, and I see the 1980s coming back, and I, I'm not sure that acid wash looked good then, but it's back now, and so are leg warmers. <laughs> but if you look at design thinking, uh, you know the the work that David Kelly did started 40 years ago, and I think what's What's old that is new again with regard to design thinking is what are the ways that organizations are needing and wanting to connect and to innovate and to engage a different audience in a different way. And so while it's, it feels awfully familiar to things that I did in the, you know, the early 90s, I think it's responding to the humanization of, of organizations and the expectations of a new workforce that's coming in who may not be satisfied with the status quo and may not be satisfied with not being aligned to the organization's goals and needs. And so I don't think it's something that can happen in a void. Uh, I don't think that you can sit in a room and decide for a whole organization and then magically have it change. But I do think you can create some opportunities that look at how can you um, create a catalyst that starts to reach to the broader parts of the organization. Thank you. Claudia? Love to have your input on this quickly. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that Carrie Brown talks about a lot is, is the future of work. And I think the future of work, and it's true, we do a lot of things that come full circle. But design thinking in particular is powerful in that um, it, it really does 
give at the executive level, at the leadership level, it gives an understanding of the business process and the concepts that are going on within the company because it's the people who are actually doing the work who are participating. So I think that we're coming to a place in in the, the workplace where the old days of I am the leader, so you must, simply don't work yes. in, in the workforce uh, of today and, and the future workforce, and that we really do have to understand what the business process is and what the pain points really are and really get it from the people who are living it versus what um, you know, an executive may think is going on. And, and often the, what the executive thinks aligns, and sometimes it's a big surprise. So I think that's why it's such a powerful method is it really does – Put the uh, put the person who's living it in the the seat to be able to show what what the what's actually going on. Yeah, I think, it's, you, I think it's fascinating. You're absolutely right. So yep. we looked at doing some design thinking, for example, with uh, the San Francisco 49ers, and and the goal was to improve the fan experience. And so that looked at from the CEO of the organization all the way down to the guy who moved the trash at the stadium. And so when you looked at everybody's role, really it was how do you change that fan experience. And so it, did, it wasn't a vacuum of, of people thinking in a room about what that experience might be. It was looking at the realities of all the people who touch the fans along the way. And, and that really is the, the elegance of it for sure. I agree, Claudia. Thank you very much, all. And we're just about at that time when it's time for, we actually are, five minutes till the end of the show. I'm going to change this a little bit, change it up uh, in terms of your predictions. I'm going to ask two questions for predictions. And ladies, I hope you can jump in with this. I think you'll love it. Instead of just giving me what your predictions are in the next, uh, let's say, three to five years for what will change about Change Champions toolkits, I'd like to know, do you have a current Change champion hero or heroine you can briefly mention and why. And is there anybody up and coming in the world of business or arts or science or in any industry, any any way of they earning their living or impacting the world, who you think might be a future change champion? I know it's a big question, but let's see if you can each tackle it in 60 seconds. Do the best you can. Marsha Connor, I'm going to give you 60 seconds for your predictions and current change champion hero. Go ahead, Marsha. I'm going to have to come uh, circle back today, the, the champion. You got me on that one off the top of my head. I was going to point out that uh, when it comes to looking into the future, crystal balling it, that Alvin Toffler said one of my very favorite things ever on change, and that is change is the process by which the future invades our lives. And what my prediction for, if not the, the next three to five years, uh, perhaps as long as we are alive, that it will, we will no longer be looking at it as something that is invading our lives, but it is just part of what we do every day. If we look at our at the generation before us, we know that they are overwhelmed sometimes by all the change that's happening, uh, but our generation very much is embracing it and realizing that we are the people to be looking towards. We need to be looking in, finding the superhero in each of us, and we need to be taking on the world and the world around us to be able to make a world that we're happy to live in. I love that. That's another Hugh McLeod drawing, I think. Probably about five of them. Thank you, Marcia. Carrie Brown, you can approach your predictions any way you want, but I've only got 60 seconds for you. Go ahead, Carrie. My change champion would be <clears throat> Dan Ponifract, who is the author of Flat Army and a friend of Marcia's as well. And I'll give his quote. Open leadership is the act of engaging others to influence and execute a coordinated and harmonious conclusion. And he has lived it and breathed it. 
within the organization at TELUS that he's in, and he's brought what we talk about to life in one of the most elegant ways I've seen. Nice. And is there anybody coming up through the ranks who would be a future change champion, Carrie? Anybody oh, on your team you not, want to not nominate? Not to mind specifically, um, no. I, in in we'll the time we do, have, no. We'll have to do part three then. And Claudia Ferber, any thoughts? Change champions or just predictions, whatever you wish. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, my, my quote was from Richard Branson. He's one of those people I really believe that he, he's changing the mode in, in which we think of business. Um, so I particularly like a lot of what he says about really having a passion for what you do and really uh, addressing the, the passions that people have. Um, I, I happen to believe that, uh, that we're all quite creative beings, even if we're, um, it, we may not think our jobs seem like it, but I, I believe we find creativity in what we do, and I think that's a message that he has, and I also think he, I like the fact that he talks a lot about sometimes you, you have a miss, and you get up and you dust yourself off and you go forward. And, and sometimes um, we're adjusting, and, and it doesn't mean that everything has to be perfect the day of a change. It means that we have to find ways to make it so that it's less impactful and that we get up and move on and, and fix what, what needs to be fixed. Um, and as far as the future, I mean, I really believe that the way in which we communicate is changing at a, such a speed that technology has changed the way we communicate in a way that... Um, in the future, and we even see it to some degree today, you know, even email is too slow of a, of a way to communicate. And I think that is a, an exciting and, and challenging concept for change uh, practitioners, is how we, we get information to the people that um, are, are part of a, of a big uh, change. Thank you very much. I have to say a thank you to my three very articulate and engaged and engaging panelists, Marsha Connor. Thank you for coming back. Kerry Brown, what can I say? You're always at the ready when we call on you to be on a panel. Wonderful. Claudia Ferber, such a delight to meet you, and thank you for contributing such great ideas and thoughts to our conversation about change champions. And it's time for me to wrap up because we are out of time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Thanks to Justin, our engineer at the Business Channel team. And here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Oh, you know this already. Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.